welcome to Accelerate Your Wealth, a podcast by Rebecca Robertson, founder and director of Evolution Financial Planning. This series, we're focusing on female financial independence, looking towards a stronger financial future. Be sure to let us know your thoughts on the show, and please do connect with us on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Instagram, or head over to www.rebeccarobertson.co.uk. So welcome to today's session. We're going to be talking to Emma Clayton, who is a business scaling consultant who empowers female um, entrepreneurs to start and grow their successful business and generate financial freedom and independence using world-class system and strategies. Is a leading business strategist, multi-award winning marketer, DISC accredited trainer and positive psychology coach. Emma is obsessed with empowering women to create more personal power, generational wealth and fulfillment within themselves and their business. From corporate leader to agency owner to business strategist, Emma has launched and scaled many multiple million pound brands, including our own business. Emma now teaches and mentors clients to create their unstoppable business, whether it's from their embryos of a business idea through to a already successful business that needs to scale. Emma supports women to create success whilst simultaneously improving their relationships, health and emotional well-being. Emma has won multiple awards for her contribution to behavioural psychology, global marketing campaigns and digital marketing. And she knows what it takes to create unapologetic success. Today, we're talking to Emma about the gender pay gap and things as women, what we can do, whether you're employed or self-employed, what you can do to um, reduce that gap and uh, pay yourself more and get that promotion and all of the above amazing chat I can't wait to get talking to her and I hope you enjoy do give us a subscribe a follow or a share any of the above tell your friends um, and I hope you enjoy enjoy today's show this is going to be a cracker I've got a feeling this is going to this is going to be a, like a little bit of a cracker this one so I'm I'm really looking forward to this welcome Emma hello hello thanks for having me no, amazing. I, lo- I love doing this because I get to meet such amazing people because I would have known you online, but not actually feel like I've met you, although I'm only seeing you on a screen. I'm not in your like. It's funny how social media does that. You feel like you really know somebody and then you meet them. Sometimes when you've been following someone for ages, you then sort of have these conversations and then you go, oh, my God, you're a real person. It's almost like they've become this celebrity and it's just nonsense. It's, it feels so bizarre when people do that to me yeah. because I have a, I have clients that follow me for a long, 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 long time. They hear my voice on the podcast, like these people might be listening to this now. And then um, they actually speak to me and I have a Zoom call, like a client Zoom call. And they're like, hi, like they hear my voice. And they literally feel like they know me. And I love that. I think that's just so cool. So amazing. That's the benefit. The, the One of the nice things of social media and there's a lot of pitfalls but one of the nice things oh, is that yes. you can connect with people really you know beautifully yeah anyway, exactly. hi Thanks hi for hi, me. hi now we've both got teenage daughters that are both 13 so that is a little bit oh. of mutual ground for us um and they're both sugarholics um another little bit of mutual ground and we've just been sharing off off the recording but i want to i sometimes it'd be nice to bring in a little bit of the uh the other stuff that i talk to people about and then we we love our daughters, don't we? I mean, I, I, we're not going to sit here and completely trash them. But my God, until you've had a teenage daughter, you just don't know. <laughs> you just, I'm laughing. I'm laughing. Yeah. I mean, I was just, just sharing know. with you off off camera that I've raised Molly, my daughter, 13 year old, just gone in November, single handedly since her dad left when she was born. 
and she has always been the most beautiful considerate daughter and she's turned 13 in November and it's my birthday last weekend and she forgot <laughs> like suddenly I don't know if you've ever have you seen the Kevin and Perry sketch where he oh, turns yeah. 13 yeah like, that's what happened and I look and I go you've literally because I showed it on my birthday you've literally become that kid <laughs> that kid yeah I always say to a lot of women that I come across that this generation of women of mums like in my hour sort of age that are bringing up this next generation so not, not the millennials that are, you know and the younger that are university but the one after our daughters that kind of age and younger oh my god society has got something coming because what I've always taught my daughter to be is you know know her value to stand up for herself um to never take any less than what she wants to accept um to never be spoken down to she stands up for her peers um and, and but with that we get the backlash <laughs> I know it's really funny because I called her out the other day I went to uh, ask my brothers to move the trampoline and I said I need some heavy guys and she went what do you mean heavy guys why can't women do it and I was like yeah. Well, just because, you know, they're a bit stronger. She went, and I said, you know, she got really sassy and she went, you made me everything I am. Oh, amazing. <laughs> exactly yes, I that. did. <laughs> exactly that. So example, my daughter recently, um, she want, didn't want to play netball. Why would I have to play netball? I will play rugby because I want to play rugby and I will play football. But none of the other girls wanted to play rugby or football. But one of her friends said, like, okay, I'll do it with you. Um, and she, she, they, this time they were playing rugby and um, the, the, there was four of them that decided, four girls that decided to do it together. And it was touch rugby, um, usually if you're playing with the boys. Um, but because it wasn't, it was girls, they said, oh, yeah, you can you can <laughs> tackle each other. So all the girls are just like, you know, giving little shove and stuff. Well, my, my, my Emily will go for it. She's literally like dropping people, like <laughs> picking them up, dropping them. Um, and I was so proud, so proud. Um, but that's equality, right? So this is the equality. It's that whole, it doesn't matter if I'm a girl or boy, we, we, if we're going to play rugby, we're going all in. Yeah, she was just so annoyed that, she's, that they were segregated and they weren't actually playing with the boys. They were made to play separately. And she, she just stood up, for, stood up for them and said, no, this is, not, this is not on, this is not acceptable. So then when they were playing football, they have been playing with the boys playing football. Um, but the girls just stand by the goal and they, then they're not allowed to score. The boys aren't allowed to score until they've passed it to one of the girls. And there's a girl on each team. <laughs> so they just stand by the goal looking pretty in their little shorts type of thing. And they have and to the pass 13 the like flicking their hair. Yeah, and... you can just imagine. And then they just have to pass the ball to the girls. It's just the whole conversation these days with girls is just incredible. Um, and where they hang out and what they do and how they spend their time just so different from me knocking about on my bike with playing football at the local park it just yeah it's 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 surreal but they're the reason why we do what we do right I certainly I everything I do is driven by the fact that I want to make sure that I can be financially independent if anything was to happen to be me and my partner but also I want to lead by example and show her that you you can be financially independent and this whole message around you know you need to find a man and marry rich is just so toxic and I'm really sorry if someone has said this to their daughters and I've said it to a couple of friends with love and they've heard me and said oh I did say something like that similar the other day actually I should stop saying that shouldn't I and I said really lovingly yeah but if, if you, you look at the Disney films this is where it starts 
Oh, God, so yeah. Rapunzel locked in a tower until the guy comes to save her. Cinderella, you know, stuck in a cellar, sweeping up until the guy comes to save her. Yeah, and you know, all the women princess that are rich, and the frog, you know. Oh, God, just... All of them, all of them. And the, the only ones that are, uh, are, you know, got any money and financially independent are Corella Deville. They're literally <laughs> villains. So what, what's that about? So we take that. So as a generation, we've taken this, you know, my mum, your your parents, we've been brought up and, and possibly a generation in between us in, in this sort of film of lacking or not as worthy in some, some sort of way and taken that into business, taken that into the workplace and the society that we were in is somehow seen us as lacking in some way and created this gap and created this gap of pay, this gap of potential, this gap of financial independence. And no one's asked for it. No one's like, it's only when you really look at the statistics that you go, okay, well, that is actually still happening, which is scary, yeah. right? And I think layer in that we're British. And oh. you know, we can't talk about money as a society because, you know, if you know, when you hear, um, for example, Americans are a lot more open about talking about money, but, you know, it, oh, it's those, you know, it's obscene and it's vile and vulgar. Um, and I know that there are some women out there. I mean, I do it a lot as well, you know, talking about money because it's an example and it's only when we put things on the table and normalize things by talking about them. But still, there's an awful lot of societal rebuttal against it so you know layer it in with that whole British thing as well as that generational gift that we you know are given mm. from our parents or grandparents as women mm. and it is it's but for me I think it's a bomb that's about to go off because I think that it cannot continue and like you say we're all diluting the message the more it comes down you know when my grandma used to work as a, uh, I think she was like a young woman. She she died when she was uh, um, 102, but she wow. was around in First and Second World War. And she, as a young girl, would sort of work and work in the mills, etc. But then as soon as she married my granddad, like, I think it was like late, 1920, she was sacked. You know, that's what would happen to women. They would be, well, as soon as they said wow. they're getting married, they were sacked. So she means they were going to have children. Yeah, like your job is now you know domestic caregiver and yeah. you know the guy would be the the breadwinner and that that's what happened and it was it was acceptable and it was seen as the thing to do but you're right yeah. then what happens is women become very very dependent on men and they see it then in the next generation and you know when my mum got divorced um you know one of the things and in fact actually I've seen it with my brother and his wife you know the parents are saying don't do it because you know you're going to lose your wealth you're going to lose the income and everything is at the expense of being dependent on that guy. I mean, I've just called absolute bullshit on that because, you know, Molly's dad left when she was a baby and we've done it all on our own. Mm. And, you know, this is one of the things that, you know, totally ignites me is that I want more women to see that they can do it on their own. And we've got to break this cycle because your daughter, my daughter, the girls around them, you know, we can't leave that legacy for them any longer. I mean, it's just some of the stats, I'm sure we'll get onto that you know, as we talk, but they absolutely keep me awake at night sometimes thinking, you know, I don't want this for my daughter at all. It's got to stop. Well, let's start there then. Let's give the one, let's, what's one's your biggest stat that keeps you awake at night? So the gender pay gap in corporate has always been there. And, you know, it is going down and down. Currently it's 17%. So 
so and the gender pay gap is different to the equality pay so if you and I were you know a guy and a, and a woman doing exactly the same job same hours generally because there was a law passed you know there's the equality pay act you would get paid the same but actually what's happening is because women are having children uh, the systems are not allowing them to come back into work because they want to you know the childcare cost is a big, big barrier. I mean, it's absolutely obscene. It's more than mortgages and it's holding women back because they can't afford to go back to work. And I know some clients have got themselves into debt over a three year period to keep their job so that after three years, when they then get some of the free hours um, and it will then leave them more of a balanced position, they're actually, because they've paid so much to get to their career where they're at, they're actually getting into debt and see it as an investment of their long term career because they know if they get off the ladder and actually look after their children and they're choosing to put their children, sometimes very young less than one years old one less than six months old into childcare from very early hours in the morning maybe not so much now with the pandemic this may have shifted a little bit with working from home etc but previously to the pandemic um hours and hours these children in childcare. and this is not me you know but as a woman you want that choice it's all about choice but they're being forced to make that kind of choice and feeling that they don't have an option that's exactly what happened to me yeah so molly's dad left and i had this great career and with the joint income, we would have been able to afford the mortgage in full-time childcare. And then he just disappeared and I was left with a mortgage and I had to go back to work to pay the mortgage. And I mean, I just literally sat there and went, okay, I have to get myself into debt. And she went to nursery five days a week. And I was very frowned upon, you know, so many people were like, what, you're leaving her in childcare like 40 mm. hours a week. And I was like, I have to, like, what choice do you have? Fuck off with your judgment. Like this mm. is what I've got to do. Otherwise, I'm not going to keep a roof over our head. It's a long, it's a it's a it's a short-term pain, and it is a pain. And I don't mean like, oh, isn't that a pain? <laughs> I mean actual emotional connection, yeah. a physical pain that is horrendous yeah. to a, a, a mum guilt beyond anything else. Um, because I had that with my daughter, but I was very much motivated because I wanted to go back to work. I didn't have to go back to work. I could be financially kept woman, but oh my God, that was not what I wanted. So I was so motivated to like, no, this is not going to happen to me. I was made redundant when I was 14 weeks pregnant. Um, that was not going to happen to me. That, um, But I felt... I felt a different other like it's still mum guilt but it's it's a different kind of guilt from having to or wanting to you know it's just this yeah. it's such a mixture of emotion and there's no wrong or right it's just where you're at right yeah, just... yeah. and that's what's happening then is, is you know these colossal childcare bills are almost keeping women back because they're not possibly able to go back or for whatever reason or like you say there's this this big strategic I'll work these hours and then I can do this and you you can see these conversations going on constantly with women Mm. that have had children for the first five years of the child's life of when do I go back to work because if I do that I lose this and I lose that and whatever yeah and not everybody has as as grandparents and people to help I mean a vast majority of you know oh one one grandparent will have them on one day another grandparent on another day and they're having to literally juggle grandparents I mean Um, that's exhausting in itself all of this yeah and one of the dominoes goes the whole chain goes whole thing goes one's only one got ill only one of them's got to get you know want, wants to have a break can't commit to it anymore or go on holiday don't even live near you yeah I don't have grandparents to look after my children so it's never been an option I've always had to to pay for childcare. even when I had my second son um I had to get a nanny it's like okay do I I I had I had maternity leave the business paid for me to have maternity leave 
but for me to actually which was six months which is great the business ran pretty much without me for six months but I came back to an, em an empty diary my team was meant to have been keeping things ticking over and I came back to an empty diary and I was like okay well I, I need to work so I had a nanny work with me a couple of days a week and you know it was financially a strain but I, I, I didn't want to put him into a nursery when I was only a couple of days a week and he was like six months old and that was just where I was at I was able I was able to do that um but even with an established business and you know doing you know doing okay I still was reliant on childcare and having good childcare it is the biggest thing there's um I'm working with parliament actually this year and they're looking at childcare models in France they subsidize the childcare like I think twins per week something like, or it might even be per month 80 pound I and mean, it's just ridiculous costs and France as a result I don't know if you can actually correlate but you you might hypothesize mm. they have got the biggest productivity rate in Europe is that because they're helping women to go back to work sooner by subsidizing the childcare? I, I mean I, I would I say so. that is probably what it is yeah, yeah I, I imagine so definitely and then um, for, for me one of my biggest peeves is I couldn't that wasn't a tax deductible expense when I was running my even now uh, maybe not when they're you know once they've gone to school I pay for private school I wouldn't expect that to be a business expense because you're expected to go to school right when they're five but for those first five years I was paying for childcare so I could work but it wasn't a tax deductible expense and it was one of my biggest outlays so I was paying tax on an income that was actually going straight back out the door yeah I know which as a financial advisor who is actually you know if you're paying more tax it means that you're doing good so it's a good thing it's your mindset but I was still really peeved to pay tax on an income to basically pay for me to go to work so that's something I think parliament should look at that yeah. for women-led businesses that or either equality doesn't matter male or female if you're having to pay for less than a five-year-old to go to to go into care that care not in care child care as if okay. child care um then um yeah then it should be subsidized or at least more tax efficient for people to do it and here's another example of gender bias why this isn't happening and i'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent and a bit go of a round but parliament as we know is not made up of the right people to make these decisions if you've exactly. got white 50 year old men predominantly i know that we have got a greater level of diversity than we've ever had but just because the baseline was yeah we you know we got there in the last election to get a bit more diversity in there but you know it's not a priority and I know that you know working with the women in work all party parliamentary group when they put things under ministers noses or there's a bill or whatever that could be debated in the chamber for a vote but actually you know, somebody else, a minister who are predominantly white male 50 year olds could overturn that with something more pressing. So these mm -hmm. bills that impact women and, you know, the like women are 50% of society, parliament are, you know, 2% of society. You're never, ever going to get the change that you need because the people no. that are making the decisions are the We need to change that. That's what needs to change first is that we need more women running for parliament. But they need I stood for Parliament care. and they, actually, yeah, I had to withdraw because again, they wanted me out doing stuff that I couldn't as a single parent and business owner do. And I was like, guys, yeah. I'm never going to be able to do this for you. And they went, well, then you can't run. And I was like, but you need me in there. Like, what are you doing? And they were giving all the safe seats to the men and all of the risky seats to the women. Wow. This Honestly, I, I could, I could go for hours. 
I, I like love, everywhere yeah. I go there is gender bias and I'm trying constantly to make traction with it and um, when I can't I just call it out just calling it out and I've become yeah. a bit of a gobshite with this now well I love it I, lo- I, I, I love it so I'm glad I'm, <laughs> I'm putting a here. mirror up like saying God, you know this is what's happening when you ne- next vote just I don't care like I mean, yes, we've got to look at the policies that they've got, but just vote for a woman. Vote for somebody that is not the stereotypical MP because that's the only way we're going to get change. It's the only way. Sure. And I mean, on oh, that sorry, subject... I ranted off on a tangent there. No, totally. But on that subject, I think it's, it's, it's you know, I, I'm seeing it, like, for example, as we're recording this, Ukraine are being um, invaded um, by Russia. They have started war. Yes, I'm using that language. That is the correct language to be using. Um, and you see pictures of Putin and all of his men, and they're all in their wartime outfits with multiple medals, very, very old, 50, definitely 50 plus white men. And, you know, there was a security council meeting. I don't know. It was on social media. I posted li- that picture. Yeah. Is that you that posted it? And I was just gobsmacked. It literally was just a, a room full of men. And I don't, I'm, I'm happily married. Um, I'm not a man. White man. He's a white male, yeah. Um, oh, no, sorry, the table was all The white. table was all white male, yeah. Um, I'm happily married. We've been together 21 years, 22 maybe. Um, he runs a massive um, uh, facilities and IT department for a big law firm. He's not, he's not come from law. He's not a lawyer himself. Um, and he has the most diverse team in the whole company, um, you know, from all different cultures, the most women in a te- technical role um, as well. And from his perspective, he sort of sees that, you know, when you're interviewing someone, it's purely based on their skill set. It shouldn't have to be, um, you know, male or female or where you're from. It's just it should be the skill set. Um, and it's, it's just just shocking to me that still in this day and age we're seeing it not just happening at boardrooms or you know country level look how many leaders of countries we've got it's worldwide it's a worldwide issue coming back to women though going back to women in the UK um what what kind of statistics are also keeping you awake at night then so that's where we got to so and often wait that's great the so what we're seeing is this the gender pay gap is not necessarily the equality of pay. It is actually because women are coming back in uh, lower paid jobs because they can't handle the, the hours that's required to have those senior jobs. So we're not seeing enough women at senior leadership level making these decisions like we just talked about. Yeah. And it is proven, there are research and studies showing that if you've got a woman on a board, your productivity and your culture oh, is massively. improved phenomenally. Like yeah. it's just... But also you don't want to be doing token positions either. You know, it's got to be merit-based. Yeah. But the pay gap is 17%. And we've been slowly chipping away and chipping away because the government have insisted that every single um, company, organisation that's got yeah. over 250 employees has to report the gender report pay gap. Them. Yeah. Well, that's lovely. But then they haven't said, you know, if your pay gap is really shit in your company or organisation, they haven't said... And then you have to have a strategy to resolve it in a certain period of time. You just go, this is my pay gap and get on with life. Now, what they're looking at is, um, in fact, I was at a meeting on Monday about this. They're now looking at bringing those numbers. And again, you know, this 250 employees, that's massive companies. They're big companies. But from an investment perspective, um, so I'd specialise in ethical investing. 
and a portfolio manager wouldn't be able to invest in a company that had a massive gender pay gap. Um, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be classed as an ethical company. Um, and they had yeah they didn't have enough equality in their business. So and that's going to become more more of a bigger issue, bigger bigger issue because there's going to be much bigger standards around that what what ethical and is what deemed ethical. So a lot of the businesses I've, from what I can work out are wanting to be on those portfolios but to ensure that they've got a broad investment. Um, yeah, and base. I think that that's right. And the government are now looking at um, providing strategy support on, you know, thanks for declaring it. Here's now what you can do, do about it. Mm. Um, and they're also looking at reducing uh, the number of employees that you have to report it so they're looking at pulling it down to 100 I still don't think that is enough I think it needs to go down into anyone that's got over 10 people you know I I still it needs to be inherent not just for the big boys this has to be inherent you know small businesses Mm. also in fact actually I would say SMEs um, are probably the worst culprits if I dare even use that sweeping statement because they're not um you know it's not systemized or or no I mean I'm a small business owner and my marketing assistant had a baby last week and I recruited her while she was heavily pregnant so I sort of talked the talk um but I do come across other business owners, women business owners where they won't um if they, someone's had one child already they won't employ them if they because they might likely to have another one so it's quickly succession after and I've heard women say that um and it's wrong that's really wrong but what is stopping those business owners you have to ask the question and that's because they they literally there's no benefits for them they have to pay out okay it's only statutory maternity pay but then they have to then find somebody else to cover that other person and if you're not an established enough business you don't have the revenue necessarily to do that so I think that's the issue between the larger corporates and the smaller smaller boys because of the revenue that that requires and then you know do you then provide good benefits over and above that over statutory maternity pay which is very basic for a lot of people they wouldn't be able to survive on it um, so then you're technically having to pay for two people at once. And I, so I, as a business owner, I can understand that. And the government don't actually give any subsidies or any, any other support for it. No. Um, and I think that's another issue right there. And that's why you're finding a lot of women, you know, they don't want to be forced down a road of having to go back after work. They don't want to have to work certain hours. So what's the other option? Become, you know, OK, I'll be looked after if that's what they choose to do. That's absolutely great by them. It's not what I I want for my my generation of girls that I know. I'd want them to have better choice than that um, and to be financially independent. So if that's a bit of a closed door and you don't have that opportunity, are there other opportunities in an employed nature, but somewhere else? Or do you do what so many women are doing and that start a business? Um, and that's what we've seen. Yeah. Yeah. So from 2008, when we had this big digital explosion and we had access to, you know, social media started really kicking off and, you know, the internet really got good. Google came in, Facebook came in, the big giants came in and really revolutionized. Women then started to see that there was a different way. And we've seen, you know, this demographic of women that have the systems have failed them after having kids or even not even just having kids, looking after elderly parents, whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. Being um, ill or mental health problems or menopause yeah. you know all the things that women are not supported Got divorced and you know like they've gone through you know a difficult time financially or needed to take some time out or it applies for everybody it could be male or female but unfortunately the statistics are 
that women are more of a disadvantage. Hey, it's Rebecca here. I'm really sorry to interrupt the show. However, I just wanted to tell you about our new free download. Would you like to find out how you might be holding yourself back from your finances? How about downloading our four ways that you might be holding your financial emotional intelligence back? Understanding your money blocks, learning to put your money triggers aside and responding from our gut is not something everyone is consistently aware of or consciously aware of. So check out our free guide on how you might be holding yourself back and reaching your next financial level. You can find the link in the show notes below. Let us know what you think. And uh, in fact, she's just released another one around the impact of the pandemic, like we were just saying. Mm. And, and yet I'm just enraged and I, and I kind of want to just shout at him because look after the ones you've got. You have got mm. a growing demographic, 69% growth of women setting up businesses, which 90% are not because they've woken up and said, oh my God, I've just had this amazing idea. I'm going to go create a new business. They're saying, I have started a business because I've got no other choice. Mm. I have to do this to earn an income. Yeah. So or, or like myself, what happened was, is that I just couldn't find a home for myself. So I got made redundant. I had, um, I went, I ended up zero confidence. That It was a recession. Um, so there were no jobs in financial services. I ended up working for a charity for about a year, got my confidence back. And then my old boss headhunted me back to be an advisor again. I was a regional sales manager before that. Massive badge of honour, rubbish at school, great in the workplace, did really well, lost a job, really affected my confidence in a nutshell. And um, it then meant that I went back to work for this company and I got promoted and I, you know, da 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 earning really well, self-employed, but I was being micromanaged massively with my little one, Emily at the time, sitting on the floor. She was like 18 months old, two years old. I'd been out the night before seeing a client at their house, getting back late at night, going to bed up early in the morning with her. And by 10 o'clock in the morning, they expected a 35 page document to be completed, which I'm talking the ins and outs of a shoot, you know, that literally they're in a leg measurements to be 10 o'clock the next morning. And I was self-employed and the environment that being a financial advisor in those kind of situations as a parent as a main caregiver to my children child at the time was just not feasible it just wasn't a feasible environment and I hated it my partner supported me and did what he could but he was also at that point of his career where he was having to put the hours in he, he wasn't flexible he wasn't at a senior senior management now like he is now at the time he was having to turn up on time and if he was 10 minutes late he'd be questioned why you were late you know that that kind of pressure whereas I was the reason I went self-employed within like a under an umbrella if if you like I was given leads I was given business but it was just such a pressure cooker of expectations that it just didn't work. So that's why I sort of felt like, what's the alternative? And I just couldn't find a home as an alternative. So I was sort of forced for other reasons to start my business because yeah. I just didn't like the environment. Yeah. And freelance women have got the highest rate of mental health challenges because they, they leave to kind of get this better freedom of time and work-life balance and love that but at the same time then they still go into what is in essence a um just still a, it's still a, a job but you're just able to say when you want to work 
and the benefit of being able to move that into a business which is what I support a lot of women to do a proper business is where you can say well hang on I can get the freedom of the time but I can also get freedom of my financial bits and I get to control everything and that's one of the mistakes I think we need to be more you know create bigger awareness on is that just because you're becoming freelance for your time you have to also be really mindful that you're not just an extension of another team and another employee because you actually are going to end up with worse freedom in the end if you like you're leaving for freedom you're actually getting you know you're not free at all no I didn't feel free at all from being although I was a self-employed status um it was just it was just an easier way that I didn't have to have any employment rights with me that was really what that was about um and it was yeah I was I sort of I did sort of say I I was going to work three or four days but those three or four days it was like I was on the beck and call kind of thing and if I wasn't available on the other day I still had to get back to them if it was anything like desperately urgent it wasn't really completely yeah and they'll send something at five o'clock in an evening expecting it for 10 o'clock the next morning and you're like yeah how am I going to do this but because you you're so desperate for that income you like you got to do you it. just keep doing it and that's the other yeah. thing about freelance as well is that you know you are dictated majority of time by what they're prepared to pay you and yeah. this is where we get trapped because the biggest statistic that makes everybody's jaw drop is that women are charging or you know compared to their male counterparts on average those self-employed women are charging 43 percent less than men that's crazy like that is the bit that keeps me awake like how is this even happening I mean I know know why but we have got to do I can see that I probably did that myself when I first so about five years ago I started doing investment advice um and I no way near charged what I should have done Uh, I I just I just sort of felt well I'm not I'm it's all that enoughness right it's all that sort of I'll who's gonna pay that for me and yeah yeah all that it felt like too much it felt like oh my god that's so expensive that's but you know I I don't like the industry for it's the regulator has driven this not the not the people in the industry the regulator has driven the regulation and the red tape to cause more work to mean that we then have to charge more because we're having to pay more personal liability insurance for a start and we're having to jump through so many hoops to keep the regulator happy. So if we're audited or our files are checked, we have to do a certain amount of work. Um, and I didn't really appreciate, I appreciate all of that. And then once you've sort of gone through business for a year, you're like, oh, hang on a minute. This is not right, quite working here. And I think we just undervalue ourselves for so many things. So I, I and also I felt that they were so expensive that it wasn't really a justified cost. It didn't feel justified. You know, my hourly rate is £250 an hour and my cleaner cleans my house for £10. And it just feels like so wrong. It just feels so wrong. But also, if you think that a lot of women, because of what we're taught, go to school, go to university, get a job. Mm. we're not taught to go into into self-employment we're taught to go to get a job so you're comparing it to your old salary which we already know was really shit because there's a massive pay gap there yeah so then we price according to what we earn oh and I'll add 20% for tax and it's like the minute I see this on social media I'm like stop that's not how you price yourself Mm. you know or oh so and so Sally down the road does something similar to me so I'm gonna put the same prices And I always say, and if anyone's listening now that's self-employed and thinking, actually, my prices, I know I could do better. I know I should do better. Like, I just want to ask this question. This is what I do to everybody. Yeah. Do you think you, and I'll ask you, do you think you are average at what you do? No. 
no, you're better honestly, than average oh yeah uh, yeah so now i know that <laughs> yeah yay so are you- I, if you asked me that five years ago i would have like not answered the same way at all and then, and so there's a big confidence thing there to say yeah. i am good enough so that's one of the things that we need to help women with so that they can mm. sit, sit here with you and i and go yes i'm flipping awesome yeah so then my next question is so are your prices average um i would say they're medium level they're they're, they're, they're in the middle they're not too they're not very low but they're not the highest because um i i price myself correct for the right kind of clients i'm, I'm comfortable with it but i did just recently put them up so I dropped my lower women, banding basically you've thought and there's a strategy in there yeah so a lot of women will be like I'm amazing no I'm, I'm average or above average or whatever but actually my prices are way below average yeah I can believe and, that and then I'll say to them well how can you expect anyone to then take you seriously if yeah. you know you're a mulberry bag being sold in a Primark shop see I never I never understood this and you're this is very 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 true so I um, wanted to make it, financial services is not very obtainable to people. They feel like it's something that is what rich people do. You know, it's, it's something completely separate. The luxury, and, I guess, they say. That's how I used to see it as well. Yeah. And it's something that when I've got lots and lots and lots of money, I'll, I'll, I'll go and see a financial advisor kind of thing. If I win the lottery, then I'll go and see a financial advisor. And it, it really shouldn't be about that. So I wanted to make it more obtainable for everyday people. It's a massive driver for me. I've done a TEDx talk on it. If women ruled the world and what the world would look like if most of the women, the wealth was owned by women, what kind of world would we live in? And it comes back to not necessarily the gender pay gap, but the wealth gap. And the wealth gap between the rich and the poor is even bigger than it has ever been after the pandemic. So this is this you can tell this is something I'm really passionate about. It's why I do what I do because yeah. I believe that if women are empowered by their finances and they're more financially independent, that goes to the kitchen table, whether you know, whichever the table you look looks like, single parent, you know, multicultural families, whatever that looks like, and you're educating the family and the people sitting around that table to do the similar thing, and we're leading by example. So when it comes to um, that that gap. When it comes to financial services, I didn't want to price myself right up there with the big boys who have, you know, the fluffy carpets and the Mercedes and all the, the fancy things, because I saw it as really pretentious. It was what I was trying to get away from. I didn't want the pinstripe suit. I had one. I wore one. I had TM Lewin shirts with cufflinks. I've been there and done that. Got the, got the shirt, quite literally. Um, so for me, it was like I, originally I didn't want to price myself in that market because I wasn't like them I wasn't going to be them but what that created is that then people looked at my business and didn't take me seriously and I was told that I was pricing myself too cheaply and I said oh, I'm wanting to do that I have a choice I'm attracting a certain client he said but you're dis, dis- attracting actually your ideal client that you're not recognizing because although you want to help those people and they can afford that they actually don't have an overall need right now. Whereas the person that's your ideal client over here will pay that. And actually, if you price yourself too low, you're actually, they're going to discount you. And so I upped my prices. This is probably about two, two and a half, two years ago. Um, and I also did fixed bandings. And I also went to 
on report so it wasn't okay if you do this then you pay me it's like no if you want the advice you pay me for the advice whether you do it or not is your out is out you're, you're, that's my time and the, the financial advice in the report so I made these changes and I was really scared I was really scared that I was going to lose my clients that it's called contingent charging or non-contingent charging it's, it's a regulatory like process and I was doing a massive change I don't, I don't know anyone else that was doing it basically but it felt like it was the right thing to do for my clients um and every single time I spoke to a client about it they were like okay yeah it's fine and what I love no about that right is there's two there's two things I love about that the first is you're not copying pricing because Joe Bloggs is doing it I'm going to do it what you've done is you've said actually I'm going to price based on what my clients need but the second thing is that that's driven by a mission so mm. I think you know because your strategy is to be and your mission is to be more accessible to people that's okay but actually then and this is some of the things that people come to me and they go well I've got an ICA up here an ideal client up here that I want to charge more for but I actually want to support the people that can't access Mm. me this is exactly what I do in my business people that want to scale people that want to start and so it's being able to still create something where it's not going to take me a stack of time to still you know teach them how to do it and do it the right way which is my mission but still have charges that represent the value that I give, which is what you've done. But you've yeah. also done it in a way where you've got really creative for what your client needs. And that's that's kind of what I want everyone to do is go back and think, you know, what is it that I want to achieve here? Rather than, you know, success to you is probably not having, you know, the fluffy carpets and the Mercedes and the TM Lewin being there, done <laughs> that. Actually, my mission is stronger than me and my own wealth. And you're very similar to me, you know, I've been there, done it, had the seven figure business, got there and went, is this, if this is what it is, I don't want it because actually I want to go back and create more wealth for more women so that we all rise together. And actually, you know, I changed the fate for the girls behind us and and that's the mission, but everything I do now is strategically driven to that, but I have prices for the value where I scale a business from six to seven figures. You know, if, if they're going to, um, you know, it's going to cost them 20 grand to do that in, across a year, but I put 200, 300, 400 grand on their business, then there's a real value to that. You yeah. know, somebody's setting up 20 grand, they're going to say, sod off, Emma. No, it's what are much. you doing? Yeah. And so everything's really relative about what it is that you're trying to achieve. So, yeah, you know, I love the fact you've actually just said, I'm going to do it differently. Yeah, it was scary though. It was really scary to do, but I knew it was the right thing because of the way it didn't flow, there was things that I kept coming up against and I was saying to clients, well, if we do it like this and we do like that and it's it's like if you're happy with the advice and then you proceed with charge. But sometimes I wasn't telling them to, to move any money. I was telling them to stay where they were and that was the advice and they should pay for that advice, not the implementation of it. So it's, it was, it's quite a complex area of financial. And I've done other podcasts talking about this. If it's not out already, it will be the time this comes out where you can go and if you're interested, you can go and listen back to all of that. Um, but the, yeah, the point being is it was scary, but I've only now 10 years in business, 10 years in business. Um, and I still don't think I've completely got it right. I still don't feel that I've completely, it's, it's perfect. It's taken a very long time. Any of us do. You know, it's all trial and error. Mm, totally. there's no perfect formula I think as long as you're aware of what you're doing mm. um, you're not you know putting your finger in the air and going what shall I charge today I have a client who god love her if you're listening I'm very sorry for using you as an example but you know she'll just say oh, I'll just make up a price when I speak to them 
<laughs> yeah. How can you slightly, run a business like that? No, it's slightly difficult. And then because you're you always undercut yourself if you're not like, you know, so many of them are so nice. But and that's that old, why we've mates got 40%. Yeah. Yep, she's got a lot of mates' rates as well. Yeah. No profit. She's got a client that she loves working with. Amazing. But she's almost paying them to work with her because she's not making any profit. But I think this is, comes down to motivation, like back to that piece that you was making earlier on, where we link the motivation of why we what we do to our worth and therefore we don't charge correctly. Um, what happened for me was um, the reality check after coming back from having Cameron, my second. And so we're talking, he's, so it was about five years, it was about five years ago now. Um, and I just, it was hard work. It was not easy, basically having to start a business again. And I, I said to myself, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm not, I'm not going to do this again. This is just, just terrible. I need to get a reality check. And I was just doing so many conversations and having so many calls with people, which like lo lovely as they were, and as great as I was able to help them, I was literally, I might as well work for the Citizens Advice Bureau and, you know, getting paid a basic salary, yeah. which is about 20, 30 grand a year and gone and done that. But well, I'm not Citizens Advice Bureau. I, I did actually have to start charging <laughs> properly. So and you've I, got I, all the experience and the, you know, credibility and authority. You know, you've been through it all. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I, I had, I had to make a change and I had to stand for what my worth was and that that unfortunately meant that I couldn't be yeah the local citizen advice bureau for everybody um but it took a while to get there and I think that that's the thing I think also the situations that a lot of women have put in like yourself you know confidence wise it just has a hit hit on you it has a, a knock on effect um and working on that inner self is just I think really really crucial I mean just wrapping up just if we can because obviously we could we love it both of us love this subject so much and I'm conscious of we need a part two <laughs> yeah we do a little bit but let's let's try and um what things can women do whether they're employed or self-employed do you feel to enable them to reduce this this gap and re reduce this this dish this issue that we're describing that's such a good question and there's two things I think the first is if you are self-employed and you're lonely and feeling it and looking around you and not really sitting in the power that you should be go and find a network of people because I don't know about you but as soon as I was around other people like even me as an expert on this stuff sometimes get it like oh I'm a bit wobbly sure. sometimes is this working is this not working should people I be doing around this? you pushing you forward rather than saying oh, what are you doing that for oh no one's going to pay that for you like don't be around people that are reinforcing that voice in your head you've already yeah. got the voice in your head be around people that stop the voice the second thing whether you're employed or self-employed is just take a piece of paper blank piece of paper and write down everything that you have achieved in your life whether it be your career your kids and what skills it took to get that achievement now that's a simple thing you just described something so simple let's let's go and, oh let's go and do that but if I hadn't done that I'd get a piece of paper I'd be looking at it blankly for about 10 minutes <laughs> because I, I could probably list off like some awards and like TEDx talks and I can yeah that kind of thing but for a lot of women especially if they're employed they won't sit there and go oh yeah I successfully um navigated that contract and that project and nailed it and got it done on time they, they just some women just don't think like that right it's, again, it comes a lot back of the women that are in, say, those low paid part time jobs will be in like secretarial, supportive, administrative, mm -hmm. like 
you are keeping that business going. Mm. Like if you don't have that person keeping the cogs turning, like we know this with VAs and team yeah. members, assistants, <laughs> the business falls. So what is it that you're doing in that business that keeps it going? Are you the agony ant for everybody? Are you making sure the culture stays alive? Are you supporting people are you the person that everybody you know what is it about you because there is absolutely so much that's special about you write it down what do people say about you go and ask 10 people around you what words would they use to describe you and start Mm. to really listen to the greatness that you've got and some of the achievements that you've done or you know what are the challenges we've all got challenges what challenges have you overcome and then what what skills have you used to do that is it tenacity resilience determination is it you know having a strategic brain is it just having a very kind heart you know that there will be something there and when you know what that ninja superpower skill is that you've got (laughs) share the fuck out of it yeah (laughs) go to your boss and say look this is what I'm giving to this company and I think I deserve more because without me this is what would be you know, this is the extension that I give. Um, here are some of the messes that I've stopped happening, yeah. the crises that I've prevented. Because it's often we are very good at sort of nipping in and solving things and not sharing it with everybody. And it's about then going, not not sort of look at me, look at me, but no. I stopped and prevented that from happening. This is what my whole validation should be so I think I deserve yeah. to be compensated better and it, and it and is the same applies in business. talking to yourself in the same sense going okay what is it what is my superpower what is it I'm really good at and I and I did that recently in my business I was I was hating what I'll be honest I was really hating my job my business became a job I, I, I just sat there and was going, I don't want to, I don't want to be doing this. It, you know, we're talking report after report after report. I like talking to people. I like talking to clients. I can talk to clients all day long. Super easy. I love the book, um, uh, The Big Leap by Gay oh, yeah. Hendrix. Yeah. And yeah. I read that and I was looking at my job going, my, and I was going, I, I just, you know, I'm not in my zone of genius here. This is not what I should be doing. Um, so I made some changes in my team and I took on a marketing assistant. I got my business assistant doing all the right things. My um, office client manager, she's been doing more of the sales, like not the sales, but just like the initial talking to people a bit more, less the techie work. And then I took on a new power planner um, and it's all costing me more money. <laughs> it's all meaning that I'm not physically paying myself more anymore. Um, I can't take more profits out of the business because of it, but it means that I am a million times happier. Like I literally feel like a different person now compared to how I felt five, six months ago. But it also means that the hours you work are the oh, 250 pound an weekends. hour tasks. Yeah. Um, and I'm just doing literally all I do is this talking to pod on my podcast, talking to people. That's my skill set. So even as a business owner, really looking at what it is you're good at and, and telling yourself, come on, right, you should be doing more of this. How can you be doing more of these things that drive more, which do drive more profit, um, but also re- meet your skill set and means that actually you're being more productive, totally. um, which has made a massive difference for, for me in terms of my how I'm feeling about the business. I had, um, you know, even though I teach all this stuff, right, I had a massive wobble last week. I had two days where I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I hate everything. I don't want to get up in the morning. Like, Ugh. I was like <laughs> the teenager in me, like just came out. And, I was like, 
the two things I did, the first was I surrounded myself with people that I knew because I'm in a mastermind with some incredible people. And I leaned in and said, I'm really struggling. And people were like, this is what you're good at. This is what we love you for. And I was like, oh, oh no, I am quite good at that. Oh yeah, no, I am. And then what I did is, and this is what I teach all my clients to do is go back and look at why you do what you do. And the minute that I went back to what my vision is, what my values in life are, you can do this even if you're not self-employed, what your mission is, you know, even if it's just to be a better mum, you mm. know, um, or to be kinder to the people around you, you know, whatever it is, whatever your mission is, there's something yeah. that you stand for. And the minute I did that, I was so connected, but I realized that I was, and we talked about this actually before we came on to record this, you know, I realized that the way, the method I was doing, it was wrong. Like, right. A bit like you were saying, you, there's things that you don't like doing. Mm. And so that's how I sort of, just have tweaked what I'm doing in the business and suddenly I am great again on fire again and so mm. you don't even need to have pivotal shifts it's just no. go back and reconnect to who you are taking a bit of a step back isn't it yeah because you can't fill up but that's that's where I've been at for the last you know after covid I couldn't fill I couldn't I couldn't do any more until I'd filled up my own cup and I'd made made things right for me now yeah. I feel like I have the right team the right energy and the right amount of I, I'm going to be in the next couple of months going back into a launch mode, which I haven't done since uh, October and I didn't do it very well. And I did one a year ago and it burnt me out because it was just, there's just too much, too many plates to spin. So you have to fill up your own cup first and get all your, your ducks in a row before you can, I believe, and you might tell me wrong, but I think you can't until you scale. You can't scale until you've done those things. You cannot scale chaos. You cannot scale poor systems. <laughs> I love that. You cannot scale a bad mindset. You just can't. It's just not going to no, work. So yeah. it, I always say it's like the arrow. When someone comes to me, they go, I want to scale. And I go, you know, it's going to take us a while because it's like an arrow. I've got to pull you back, get yeah. everything in shape, and, and then, then fire you off. I love that analogy. I love analogies, and that's a really great one. And the last one I'm going to leave on, which I think you're like, is one of my favorite sayings. Is if you think you can or you think you can't, you're probably right. Always right. <laughs> And I think that's to round up um, today's podcast. Um, I think if, you, if you're feeling that you feel like you can't do something, you can't ask for a pay rise or you can't do this or you can't do that, you can't go and ask your clients for, to pay you more, um, you're probably right because you're self prof, prof I can't say that word. Help me out, Emma. self um, prophesizing. That's the one. Um, and so go back to how can I make myself feel good about this? How can I make this right to make some of those better decisions? Because hey we're all worth it right that's l'oreal isn't it totally and also the other thing is you know your whatever you bring in money wise your money is not attached to your worth you are worth right. it even if you get paid 5p an hour you know and that's why i never say charge your worth i always say charge your value because your yeah. worth is always totally 100% always there yeah yeah i think that's a really good point actually and and, and l- l- yes thank you i totally agree and I, it's not that i hadn't thought of it like that but I think it's a nice way to put it because I think we do what we are encouraged yeah to charge your worth but But if you don't feel that you've got much worth then you'll keep charging shit your worth is amazing your charging is very separate but you're right in the sense that your business in the same essence your business profits or how well your business is doing is not a a detrimental effect or a affect your value as a person as a human being there is you know same as if you've got 20 grand in your bank account or 200 grand in your bank account or 20 quid in your bank account it it's it doesn't mean you're a better or worse person just because you've got more money yeah 
absolutely. I love today. Thank you for joining loved us. It too. You can connect with Emma with all the, 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 the links will be in the bio. You can go and check out what she's up to. Anything you've got coming up soon, Emma? Uh, yes, I've got some training workshops coming up, but one thing I have created and they don't have to come into my world. This is not one of those ones where you go, you've got to fill this in to get the information, like come to raiseyourpricing.com and you can see I've created a calculator for how much money you could be leaving on the table by undercharging. Ooh. And you can see compounded up to 10 years, you can you know move the dial. That's very scary. You can <laughs> some people, I kid you not, the majority of people are in the five, six figures of what they're leaving on the table over 10 years. One person can bought totally. a house at 372,000 pounds. Yeah, exactly. It's a real eye-opener. And you can work out either a day rate or your package prices, whatever. If you are fully booked for the hours you want at the prices you deserve like you'll see the money it's a big motivation and so, then you can buy the, the houses by the beach and you can put more money into your pension and you can help your children go to university and do all the things that we want to be doing but if you haven't got the revenue I, I talk about make just for your context Emma I talk about on the podcast make manage and multiply which is Warren Buffett it's not a new thing I, I'm not a genius I didn't make it out um, but at the end of the day you can manage money and you can multiply it but you've got to have some in the first place you've got to make it yeah. so that's why charging your worth whether you're employed or self-employed is absolutely crucial 100 so it's raiseyourpricing.com it's a little calculator if you, then you want to know how to make that money then you can come into my world but even if you don't just go and use that calculator amazing thank you so much for joining us today thank lots of love to you all you're more than welcome i'll see you all soon thank you for joining us on today's episode of accelerate your wealth for further help or to connect with Rebecca directly, please head over to the website www.rebeccarobertson.co.uk where you can find further information on our planner, book and how to further maximise your wealth. For any regulated advice, please do head over to www.evolutionfinancialplanning.co.uk.